This week on the Iowa Watch Connection. What I would almost consider a crisis in, in the confidence that the public has in the news media. A free press is indispensable to democracy. We have more tools at our disposal with websites and Twitter feeds and Facebook. I mean, we, we make use of those. But challenges often appear. Journalism has to go back to the basics. We have to focus on fact-checking and focus on fairness. The State of Journalism Today, our topic this week. The Iowa Watch Connection is presented by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, online at iowawatch.org. Here is Jeff Stein. On Thursday, September 27th, Iowa Watch and several partners sponsored the 6th Annual Celebrating a Free Press and Open Government Banquet in Des Moines, an event designed to call attention to the important role of an independent news media in our country. The banquet followed the annual meeting of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council. Randy Evans is a retired Des Moines Register reporter who is now Iowa FOIC Executive Director. Steve Barry is a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist who recently retired as a journalism professor at the University of Iowa and while there co-founded the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, Iowa Watch. He was back in the state as the speaker at the banquet. I caught up with both of them that afternoon. I'll begin with a fundamental question and I'll ask you first, Steve. What is the greatest challenge to journalism in our country today? Well, I think the greatest challenge today is that we are confronting what I would almost consider a crisis in, in the confidence that the public has in the news media. Um, and it, it uh, just in preparing for this talk that I'm going to be giving tonight, uh, I've been looking at lots of polls. I've actually been talking to a lot of people uh, since I've been in retirement. And they, they don't have any idea what journalists do, how they go about their job, how they do the reporting. And, uh, and then on top of all of that, we have this all-out anti-press, organized, expensely, I mean, very well-funded campaign that's being carried out against the press. Um, and, uh, and it's carried out at the highest levels of government. And, and not only is it against the press abstractly and generally, but they're going after individual reporters by name and in, and in the presence. And, and that that's can have an effect. And it gets repeated over and over and over again. And as like propaganda, you repeat a lie enough and it becomes perceived reality. Randy, do you agree that that is the greatest challenge? And if not, what might be? Oh, I would agree with Steve on the, the, the broader challenge. But I think that on a more fundamental basis, I think the media, in some respects, is is not helping its cause any because uh, at a time when there is this widespread skepticism about the believability of what people are reading or hearing, uh, we have newspapers that are have sort of walked away from editing and are leaving it up to reporters who are like Ringling Brothers jugglers, all that is being expected of them. And, you know, if you don't spell somebody's name correctly, if you have the wrong street address, people suddenly don't believe anything that, that they're reading. And I think that journalism has to go back to the basics. We have to focus on uh, 
you know, fact-checking and double-checking and triple-checking. You know, we have to focus on fairness. Uh, you know, that's not going to solve the bigger problem, but it's, it's not going to add more fuel to the fire. It's interesting to me that you said that because I have said for a while that people in the media are often their worst enemy and hand someone the club to hit them over the head with, such as making a small fact error that does not have a lot to do with the general thrust of a story, but it allows the subject of the story to then say, see, they're wrong. There you go. Yeah, it's, that's, you're absolutely right because, uh, you know, the last thing journalists need to do is to to give anybody an excuse to disbelieve what journalists are gathering up and presenting for people to digest. Steve, we have had similar times in our history where those in power, be they in government or business or any other form of power, have taken after the media. What is different about this climate? Well, you're right. to me, I think you're referring going back to the era of uh, Richard Nixon. When, when, he, um, when he unleashed Spiro Agnew, you know, with his beautiful, alliterative creativity. I think we all can remember by heart the nattering nabobs of negativism. We've all got that. We can say it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, but that's, that's, this is so different because Nixon pretty much uh, marinated his hatred privately. And he sat around and drew up an enemies list and wrote it down privately. And that didn't come out until some grand, grand exposure. And Spiro Agnew wasn't on the scene that long. Uh, and his, this, this uh, campaign against the press, it, wasn't, it couldn't have been more than a year, if I remember right. Uh, right. And what's going on now is we have a president who has acknowledged in public, and it's, this is on the record, he has acknowledged on public that my plan is to bash the press as hard as I can for the sole purpose of demeaning individual journalists, demeaning them so that, and to, to question their credibility so that nobody, whenever you write a negative story about me, nobody's going to believe you. This is an all-out campaign, and, and it's very concentrated. And he, and he implements it himself personally every single day. He doesn't send surrogates out there to do it for him. He does it himself. And so that, that's, that's what's different. That's what's different. Agnew, of course, came to Des Moines as part of that <laughs> whole thing. They come to the heartland yeah. and, and make the statement to the core of the country. Yeah. And I find that interesting. But to, to your point about the president, when the president points out individual journalists by name at a news conference, sometimes they stand up for themselves and then it's again, it's like Dan Rather versus Richard Nixon yeah. in 1974 yeah. kind yeah. of thing. Given how pervasive media is and viral video, a phrase we didn't even have a few years ago, is the president actually getting a little assistance if they get sucked in or take the bait? And then don't respond to it? I think it's the manner of the response. But but you think you're fine with with one of these reporters giving as good as they get? Yes. And I'm going to talk about that tonight. Um, I'm I'm going to propose something that... uh, that I don't, don't think, I don't know that, that a lot of journalists would agree with me on this. And I didn't agree with myself just about a year ago, <laughs> until about a year ago. But, but I, I'm got, I've gotten to the point where this current administration has made the news media a story. It is, and it's a very, very important story. 
and through no fault of our own, we did not ask to become a part of the story. But he has made it. it he's made it because number one, it's a it's an integral part of, of the White House policy, and number two, when you have the highest office in the land, organized and challenging the constitutionally sanctioned entity that is sanctioned with protecting the public's, not our right, but the public's right to a free press, we are obligated, our ethics obligate us to stand up to that, and we have not been standing up to that. Based upon what you heard from Steve, he obviously has a, a very clear idea of what he would do if he were in the White House press corps. Is that the way that this should be handled in your mind? Well, I certainly understand the, uh, you know, the desire to sort of stick up for yourself. You know, I think, though, that if you, if you approach it from the standpoint of Joe Ordinary Iowan, uh, who, uh, you know, doesn't like necessarily what he's hearing coming out of the White House, but he also uh, maybe thinks that the media is a little too over the top in how they're responding to the president. Uh, you know, if you tune into cable news, uh, you know, unless you've got Hurricane Florence, it's, it's almost 24-7 of what Trump is doing. And, and I think it is uh, giving an, uh, an inaccurate uh, picture of what the media as a whole is doing because you don't see the other stories uh, being reported on CNN or MSNBC. Uh, and I think that that is skewing public perception uh, that the, pub the public is concluding that the, the press, the media is, is out to get the president because all they can do is talk about the negatives about him. Uh, I think Washington journalists probably need to spend more time in East Overshoe, mm -hmm. Iowa, mm -hmm. talking to Joe Ordinary Iowans mm -hmm. about what they're thinking and how they're reacting and how the president's statements and policies are playing. Mm -hmm. uh, because I think, I think if the, the East Coast press would do that, I think they would uh, understand why uh, the public perception is the way it is. More with Steve Barry and Randy Evans in a moment, but first a conversation with Brian Cooper, the longtime executive editor of the Telegraph Herald in Dubuque. After 30 years in that role, last year he became editorial page editor and special project consultant for the paper. I hate questions that start with, over the course of your career, dot, 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 but it does seem to me that during the time you have been a professional journalist, we have seen such technological change, but that has led to content changes. Assess where we are now as a journalism industry in terms of what we're doing well and what really needs some improvement. Well, I think what we're doing well is um, better immediacy, we have uh, more tools at our disposal with uh, websites and uh, Twitter feeds and Facebook. I mean, we, we make use of those functions uh, as well as th the daily print product that we put out every day. But I think that that's uh, one thing that's um, helped our service to our community is if there's a fire or an accident, we have uh, information about that on our website uh, right away, video 
And uh, so we're making use of those digital tools, and I, I think that's a, a benefit to our communities. It seems to me there may be stories that in a pastime might not make the daily paper because there are only so many pages, but now there's an expectation that we are to cover things in real time online on one of these various formats. The, br the bright side of that is we're covering more news if we choose to do it that way, but that is a stress on staffs that are already shrinking because of budgetary concerns. Right. We used to have one deadline a day. That was yeah, to yeah. get the paper out. Yeah. We clear the last page and we go to lunch or go to the tavern or whatever it might be. And uh, now we really have no deadline. Whenever we have news, we process it as quickly as you can and put it on the, uh, on the website. And that's a challenge because uh, most newsrooms are smaller than they used to be, ours included. I mean, we're fortunate in that we're privately held and employee-owned, and, and we haven't um, quite suffered these uh, cutbacks that some of the corporate uh, newsrooms have. But uh, it, the fact is we have fewer people to gather the news, so we try to be more efficient that way. And we're doing it in real time, even in print, because as you said, there used to be one deadline a day, and there was time for facts to come in and to be processed, and now we are reporting every little thing as it happens. There's a danger that we lose context. There's a danger that we lose actual accuracy. Each fact may be accurate, but not in context of the whole. What can journalists do to guard against those possible hazards with a public that A is I think insatiable in their demand for information but B figure they can send it out themselves too right or wrong. Well I think uh, one uh, drawback of what we're doing as an industry is sometimes we put being first ahead of being right and uh, I think uh, sometimes there are times when we maybe get a little ahead of ourselves, but uh, it wouldn't hurt to wait another hour or two sometimes to get the uh, comment from the other side of the uh, issue to uh, get a little more context in there. But there is a, uh, it's still a competitive business, and so uh, there are times when a story might go out on the website uh, earlier than it would have, certainly if we were in a print environment where we would wait for the other side. Um, but the other reality is it seems as if uh, it's easier or more common for sources to just dodge us. Don't return the phone call, don't return the email, and they figure if they don't respond then they won't get into trouble or if they don't respond maybe we won't do the story, which is usually an incorrect assumption. But um, we have so many more could not be reached for comments, did not return phone calls, that sort of thing. Brian Cooper, a daily newspaper journalist for more than 40 years, the last three decades plus of which was spent at the Telegraph Herald in Dubuque. That's where he currently serves as editorial page editor. We spoke on September 27th in Des Moines. Coming up, more with Iowa Watch's co-founder and the director of the State Freedom of Information Council. That's next as the Iowa Watch Connection continues.
The Iowa Watch Connection radio program is part of a statewide audience engagement project organized by the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, an independent, nonprofit, nonpartisan news organization. The center is dedicated to producing high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism in Iowa, while also training journalism students to do this work at a high ethical level. The center is found online at iowawatch.org. Welcome back to the Iowa Watch Connection. I'm Jeff Stein. We continue our discussion of the state of journalism in America now with Steve Barry, retired University of Iowa journalism professor and co-founder of Iowa Watch, and Randy Evans, executive director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council. You hear probably first among anyone in Iowa if there is a concern about how a member of the media is treated through your role as director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council. That is the job, is to protect the interests of the public through the media. Do you find, or is it just a fear on my part, do you find that Iowa officials at any level are looking at the Trump example and saying, that could play here, I could do that same thing, this is my ticket to building a popular base? I, I think you're absolutely right because uh, you know when you see uh, how the president is trying to manage uh, press coverage uh, you know that where you're going three weeks without a press conference uh, I don't know that the governor is not having a press conference for the same reasons but I think that it leaves people to conclude that you know that just as the, the White House uh, press office doesn't want to answer reporters' questions, that the governor is, is reaching the same conclusion. I'm not going to have a press conference because, uh, you know, I may not like the questions. But, you know, I'm old enough to remember when Governor Branstad, you know, was in his sledding accident and broke his jaw, and his, his jaw was wired shut, and he still met with the press for his weekly press conference. I mean, his jaw was wired shut and you still couldn't keep him from answering questions. So Steve, what should journalists, and they don't have to be Washington journalists, we, we tend to focus on that because again of the, the figure of the president, but what should journalists do to ensure that the public still has the respect for them and the trust in them that is necessary for democracy? Yeah. When I look and dig into dig down into the bottom of these um, surveys, there's some really interesting, interesting things about what the public is saying and about about what they what they think news organizations need to do to gain their trust. And so I spent some time thinking about those uh, ideas. They range in all several areas of reporting. Do I talk about political reporting? Uh, how too much of it is analysis and speculation. And, and horse race and not enough of actually trying to give give the, the public solid information that they need to be intelligent voters. Mm -hmm. And then I, I talk about two um, uh, things that they can do to um, to uh, uh, be more fair and to be to be more transparent. Transparency, it's such a vague term. I don't even like to use it because nobody knows what transparency means. But when you talk to the public and but you, you know when it's not there. Yeah, and, and the, my point is that, that there are some really very specific things that, that, that journalism can do 
to, to regain the public's trust and just simple reporting. So anyway, as far as defending the press, I've got some ideas about that. And I'm talking about defending, defending the press on a macro level that, and, and to do it and, and to, to be reactive, not proactive, that, that when somebody criticizes the press generally, that says all news coming out of the press is fake news, mm-hmm. there needs to be a response to that because it's getting repeated over and over and over and over again. And being a son of the Deep South, I know what repetition like that can create. It can create, it can create a mythology that is overwhelming, corrupting, and, and it really affects people. We cannot let that happen again. Randy, Steve had some ideas of what journalists should do. They should add this to the stories, they should do that. But the climate economically suggests, I'm afraid, that's not going to happen. Well, and I think this is the dilemma that faces uh, newspapers, it faces uh, broadcasters as well. It's vitally important for them to invest in the product. Uh, you cannot just focus on the, the bottom line and the, the profit margin because otherwise, uh, you know, we're going to fritter away the audience and, you know, once the audience is gone, it's gone. It's, it's a whole lot easier and a whole lot less expensive to hang on to the audience and try to build it rather than trying to rebuild something that is eroded away. And, you know, one of those investments is in the time for reporters to, to fact check, to have another layer of eyes uh, or ears uh, reading or listening to a story and, and finding holes that need to be filled. Uh, and approaching stories the way Joe Ordinary Reader does and say, this doesn't make sense, or you need to explain this further. I I don't think that it is anything super complicated. I think what we're talking about are some real basic fundamental skills that I was using back when Dwight Eisenhower was just an intern. (laughs) Randy Evans, Executive Director of the Iowa Freedom of Information Council. And before that, Steve Berry, retired University of Iowa journalism professor and Iowa Watch co-founder. We spoke in Des Moines on September 27th, just prior to the 6th annual Celebrating a Free Press and Open Government Banquet, sponsored by Iowa Watch and various partner organizations. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. In the meantime, you can connect with us online, iowawatch.org. Click on the radio tab at the top of the page to listen to all or part of this program again for a list of stations that carry the program and more. iowawatch.org. I'm Jeff Stein. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you'll make the Iowa Watch Connection again next week. The Iowa Watch Connection is a copyrighted presentation of the Iowa Center for Public Affairs Journalism, which is solely responsible for its content. For more information about the center, including how you can contribute so high-quality investigative and community affairs journalism and student training can continue, go online, iowawatch.org. 